Well, today we're looking at Adventist education. And I was encouraged when I saw the number of hands that were raised just a few moments ago that have had an experience of one way or another with Adventist education. I hope a good experience with Adventist education, and I hope a long experience with Adventist education. Uh, I was figuring up myself. I've been in the Adventist school system for 24 years, <laughs> and I continue to be, even now, in the Adventist school system as an enrolled student at Andrews University. And so I still get the student discount at some places. Uh, <laughs> But sometimes it's easy to ask this question, is it worth it? Have you ever asked that question, honestly, parents? Is it really worth it, especially after registration and then there's not only the, the, the entrance fee, but then you have to pay for the first month and all this kind of thing and you start figuring out, okay, this is for one child, that's painful enough, now two, okay, three, four, and you start to wonder, okay, we can't eat anymore, is this worth it? Have you ever asked that question? I think the lady in this picture, she probably does the finances, and she was really hoping for a new pair of shoes, and she's wondering, is it worth it? What's the largest item in the church budget? And it may be similar in your home, I don't know. This will be multiple choice. Is it utilities? Is it keeping the lights on, keeping the, comf the, the temperature comfortable here in this building? Is it church administrative office and all that goes with that? Uh, could it be the pastor's discretionary fund? That, that could be nice as the largest item on the church budget. Christian education or Sabbath school supplies. That's another big chunk. But by far, any of you that has ever sat on a finance committee or church board knows that Christian education is by far at the top. That is the leader of expenses. But it's not an expense that we are worried about because it's an expense that we believe in. We never ask the question, are we going to keep doing this? We always feel good about and, and feel privileged to be able to do this and to support our school, Captain Gilmer Christian School. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me. I'm not going to put all the verses on the screen, and we're not going to look them all up either. But I want to hear those Bible pages turning a little bit. And we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3 beginning verse 13, and listen to these words from one of the wisest men who ever lived. He says, verse 13, happy is the man who finds what? Wisdom. And the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. And who's the her? Wisdom. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Going on, verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her wisdom. And then skipping down to verse 21, my son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and so they will be life to your soul. So again, we ask the simple question, 
Is it worth it? Is education worth it? And who's at the foundation of wisdom? We'll ask that question and and look at that a little bit later. You already know the answer to it. But turn now to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Stay in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Another well-known verse. And it says, These words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. These are the commands of God. These are the scriptures. These are what God has to say to his people and his parents. He's saying, you need to communicate this to your children. This is important. This is wisdom. And so wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you're cutting the grass, if you're on a hike, if you're shopping around town, whatever you're doing, Friday night worships, impart these things to your children. Now, at the grade school level, children are with their teachers like, what, 30, 35 hours a week or something. That's a huge chunk of time. Parents do a little audit. How much of the time do you have your kids? Now, you might have them in your home or in your presence, but how much of that time are you imparting knowledge to them? I mean, it's a big chunk. School. Do you want to just send them off to any school? That will teach them just whatever. A mixture, maybe, of of some Bible stuff, but also some some worldly things. And maybe they don't mix together. Maybe it's the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know. Putting the two together. But what if you had a place, and we do, that you could send your child, you do, where they can be poured into with a scriptural basis and foundation? That is not just in Bible class, but is in every class, science class and reading class and everything else. You're going through things that are are building on that foundation, and that's important. That's the wisdom that Solomon's talking about. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. That's how God created the human race, in his image. But something happened. Sin entered into the world, and that was marred. That was destroyed. In Education, page 15, it says, It was his, God's purpose, that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image, the image of God, the more fully reflect the glory of the Creator, is what's written. To restore man in the image of his Maker, to bring him back to the perfection in which he was created. To promote the development of body, mind, and soul. The divine purpose in his creation might be realized. But then there was the fall. And so this same method, this same means is now his work of redemption. To promote the development of these three characteristics. Body, mind, and soul. You could say physically, you could say mentally, you could say spiritually, same thing. And this is the work of redemption. Pastor Hyman quoted that education and redemption are one and the same. And then it says this is the object of education, the great object of life. 
I mean, isn't redemption basically the whole object of our existence here and now anyway? First, our own redemption, and then the redemption of others. Everything else is commentary, isn't it? I had a parent come to me and say, well, I like our Adventist school, and and she really likes it too, but I don't think it's challenging her academically enough. They don't have this, and this extra thing, and that extra thing, and this language, and da-da-da-da-da-da. So I took her out, and I put her in this other school. And I'm thinking to myself, and I tried to make some comments, but it was falling on dead ears, and she really wasn't looking for my comments, so I let it go. But I'm thinking to myself, and I go home and I tell my wife, I say, what difference does it make if your child knows nine different languages? Are you with me? And can do pre-calculus as a kindergartner. What difference does it make if they're lost? If they gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. But no, we want to have this academic rigor. And somewhere along the way, somebody whispered in somebody's ear that the Adventist educational system, it's a nice spiritual, you know, it'll, it'll build that biblical foundation, but your kids really won't be challenged. It's not, you know, rigorous. We're going to look at that. But again, what's the purpose of education? True education, page one. This is not a compilation. This is an Ellen White book that she wrote out. True education means more than pursuing a certain course of study. And if I could add to that, it means more than what your income will be. It means more than being able to have money to do the things that probably may compromise your principles. I don't know. But it means more than all of that. It's the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. There they are again, those three. Physical, mental, and spiritual. And then the word harmonious. You know what that means, harmonious? That's when sounds come together in a way that's beautiful. All of these are supposed to work together in concert. And when you have one, it's good. When you have two, it's better. But when you have all three, this is wonderful. And the whole Adventist education system is based on these three principles, like a tripod of a camera. I mean, three is great because it doesn't even really matter if the ground is uneven. Three always, it will stand. But if you take one of the three away, there's a problem. Look for these three principles again here. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind. Do you see the three pieces? Soul and heart, I think that's spiritual. Strength, that's physical. Mind, that's mental. That's how we're supposed to love. And then when we get that straight, we not only keep it to ourselves, but we love our neighbors that way. You see that? So it's that same model of education that Jesus says, this is what you do. Love the Lord your God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Turn with me as well to Philippians. I think we can find it here too. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're looking again for those three characteristics. Chapter 2, verse 5, and it says, let, allow, 
not strive, but let this mind in which was also in Christ Jesus, mind being, could we say mental, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. I think a better Greek translation of that really is he fully and completely emptied himself. Now, that's not a, a mental exercise. That's not a physical exercise. If you ask me, that's a spiritual exercise. It doesn't come natural, but he emptied himself fully and completely of all the prerogatives of God, all of his rights, all of these things that were due him. He emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So first let this mind be in you, right? And then empty yourself. So we have mental, we have spiritual, and that led to a physical sacrifice, didn't it? A death on a cross, so again, those, those three pieces, those three pillars, if you will, that we see embedded in Adventist education, also part of Scripture, and really all education, which comes from God's Word. Here's another place I think we can find it. Revelation chapter 14, this is the first angel's message. And it says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Did you see it? Fear God. Can you think of another passage that talks about fear God? Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think we could call that mental, couldn't we? And give glory to him. Can you think of another verse that talks about glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31, therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I don't think it's limited to just that, but it certainly includes that. And so here we have the mental, fear God and give glory to him physically in your body, in your being and everything else too, but that includes the physical. And then for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him. Isn't that spiritual? So even in the three angels' message, we see this three parts. They're all there. They are the call of that first angel to the world. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So again, what's the purpose of Adventist education? True education, quoting again, is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Have we claimed those verses before? If we believe what that's saying, that means we need to find and provide for our children the very best that we have to offer in this area of education, the spiritual, the mental, the physical, all of it. So the First Avenue School was formed in 1853 in Bucks Ridge, New York. And today we have schools in 150 countries around the world, 7,800 schools, some 85,000 teachers, and 1.7 million students. Now, I hope those numbers are a tiny bit outdated. I think they're probably a tiny bit outdated. But that's, that's a big impact, isn't it? 
Right here in the Carolina Conference, we have 22 schools, two academies, three junior academies, 19 elementary schools. And we are privileged enough to have two of the principals of our academy here and one of our grade schools here. We're blessed in this area, aren't we? You don't think you're blessed until you live out in the Thule's. Has anybody ever lived in the Thule's? You can't get there from here. And you don't have options. Well, you have an option, but it's a two-hour commute. Is that an option? Or an hour commute? That gets very difficult. And I know parents that, that make those kinds of situations work, and I commend them for that. But the point I'm trying to make is that's not our, our issue right here in this community. And what a blessing that is. Some question if our schools are the right place for their children to be educated. This guy's not so sure. Does the spiritual emphasis weaken the academic program? That's the question that he's asking. So let's look at that. They did a cognitive genesis study some years ago, uh, achievement and aptitude testing in Adventist education. And there was over 800 schools in the United States, Canada, Bermuda, almost 52,000 students in grades 3 to 9 and 11. Parents as well as teachers and principals participated for four years. This study went on from 2006 to 2010. What did they find? Avenue schools were, man, is that what they found? The study used Iowa tests of basic skills, cognitive ability tests, things like what kind of food you eat, how much sleep you get each night, what you do for your leisure time. They're trying to get the full picture of the Adventist student, not just a snapshot here or a snapshot there. These are some of the findings. That Adventist students, on average, are above the national average. Is that good news? In all subjects. Not some subjects or a few subjects, but all subjects for all grade levels. And above predicted and expected achievement. So thinking this is what we predict, this is what we expect, this is where they should be. But no, in all subjects, for all grade levels, for all school sizes, they were above what was expected. Here's a graph, test results by grade. The light blue, I realize it's getting pretty small. The light blue are all students, public and private, both together. And then you have all Seventh-day Adventist students in the darker blue. And that one is higher in test results by grade, like significantly higher. Here, 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 and then a jump here in seventh grade, and it continues on, another pretty good jump here. In total, they're above. Is that a good thing? That's wonderful. How about science in a creationist curriculum? I didn't say that quite right, but we'll let it go. <laughs> I could butcher it two, three times, but what's the point in that? They're going to be at a disadvantage later. That's the argument. But no, in science, it's above the national average, as higher, higher than other subjects, higher in science than predicted by ability scores, again, above average for all sub-areas of science. So again, that whole thought process needs to be debunked. It's not true. Here's test results by subjects. Again, the dark blue are our Adventist students who test noticeably higher in every single category. I think that says something. And as much as I'd like to say, I think it says something about our, you know, our curriculum, or our teachers. I think we have great curriculum. I think we have great teachers. But I think more than anything, it's because God gave us a blueprint and he said, do this. Amen. That's what I think. 
Does it require dedicated teachers? Absolutely. Does it require good curriculum? Yes, absolutely it does. But let's be careful to pat ourselves on the back. Jesus had the idea. He said, do this. And if we do it, look what happens. This is Paul Harvey. He says, the largest single group of parents, this is very interesting, who send their children to Christian schools are public school educators. Now, you think about back in the day when he made this statement and where we are today. Have things gotten better or worse? I remember a a young lady that was at Fletcher Academy, and she didn't want to be there anymore. She She was done with Fletcher Academy. She says, I want to be in the public school. That's where things are happening. And so she did. She pulled out, went into the public school. After, I think it was like two or three weeks, she said, get me out of here. I want to go back to Fletcher Academy. Well, how come? Oh, pastor, you have no idea the stuff that goes on at a public school. She says, over at Fletcher Academy, we get put on, on uh, social. If we're holding hands or if we're, you know, heaven forbid, caught kissing somebody or anything like that. She says, there in the, in the public school, it's happening in the hallways and from people of, of the same gender. And it's, it's everywhere. It's all the time. And she says, I just don't want to be around that. And you stop and think about that from a public, from a government, what can they do? They can't do anything about that. And that's what we're subjecting our kids to, not to mention all the other influences that are there. This is uh, Joseph Califano. He was the former United States Secretary of Education. Public school was his baby, if you will, back in the day. He was caught in a candid moment saying this, the worst place a teenager can be today is in the public school system. I would think he might know a little bit about the public school system. And again, I'm not trying to, to, to tear anybody or anything down, but when we stop and think about what God has given to us, if we value that, if that is important to us, that needs to be given priority in where we send our kids and where we spend our dollars, right? I know some people feel called and are called to go teach in a public school, and I commend you and I applaud you. That is not an easy environment to work in. And in many ways, your hands are tied, but you are still there, following and obedient to the call of God that he's placed on your heart, and you're making a difference. And so I I praise the Lord for you and what you're doing. Here are some stats that are a little unnerving. Only 30% of children educated in the public school system remain in the church. So if if you choose, okay, let's do the the public school thing, you have a 30% chance that when it's all said and done, your kids will continue to be in the pews. The opposite of that, 80% of children educated in our Adventist school system remain in the church. Again, I wish it was better, but that's a whole lot different. That's worlds away from each other, isn't it? Some more findings. Not only do Seventh-day Adventist students score above the national norms, students coming to our schools improve their scores. And this is really exciting. The longer in Adventist schools, the higher they score. Now, some people like to argue, well, Adventist school, it's a private school, and so they only let in the top elite. I mean, that happens with schools. If you're not, you know, at this level, we're not going to let you in because we advertise that we're at this level. We don't function that way. We never have. And so anybody that comes can be a part. And and so here, a student that comes the first year, I think we have a graph for this. This is an eighth grader that comes in, first time they score in the 50th percentile, average. 
But then if they're in our school system for one to three years before reaching eighth grade, they're in the 57th percentile. If it's between three and five, they've gone up to 64th. And if it's, uh, what is that, five to seven or something like that, it's 73 percentile. That's the same student. They've just been in our school system longer. That, to me, speaks volumes about the fact that God gave us something that was worth paying attention to and that works. This is another graph that virtually says the same thing on the right in the pink, you know, the 73 percentile versus the, the average in the lighter pink below it. On average, they're half a grade level above in terms of their performance than normal. Here's some more findings. Students that go on to attend college or university. From SDA schools, it's 85%. Continue on and go to a college or university. From public schools, it's 66%. You say, well, that's not so bad. But look at this. Students who graduate from a college or university, if they've gone to SDA schools up to that point, 80% graduate. Again, not perfect, but decent. From public schools, only 14%. That's a significant drop. Now, I'm not sure you can read any of this. I might be the only one, but you have to Google it when you get home. This is in the Christian Science Monitor, November 15, 2010. And this is basically talking about all the things that we just looked at. Amid all the buzz on education reform, the Seventh-day Adventist school system might seem an unexpected place to look for models in improving student achievement. But by educating mind, body, and spirit, have you heard that somewhere before? Adventist schools outperform the national average across all demographics. And so the title for Real Education Reform, Take a Cue from the Adventists. Continue on. But quietly in our midst, the second largest Christian school in the world has been steadily outperforming the national average across all demographics. Seventh-day Adventist holistic curriculum serves as a model for how to overcome the gap, the disparity in academic performance between low-income and minority students and their peers in higher income communities. But even more, it shows how to narrow the gap between mind, body, and spirit, truly educating students for success. And then further down, it says, between 2006 and 2010, my colleagues and I analyzed test scores of 51,000 students based on the Iowa test of basic skills for grades three to eight and Iowa education, da 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 as well as surveys, unbeknownst to them, in each subject category, students attending Adventist schools scored higher than the national average. They also scored higher than their expected achievement based on assessment of individual ability, a factor few other schools measure. One of our most dramatic findings is that students who transferred to an Adventist school saw a marked improvement in academic achievement. The more years a student attended an Adventist school, the more his or her performance improved. Now that's like the outside world saying, hey, Take a cue from these Adventists. They, they have it going on. They're doing things that we should take notes from. And we'd be better off if we did. And so you might be scratching your head saying, how can this be? Again, is it because our curriculum is better? Is it because our teachers are better? Or at the core, is it because we put God first in our schools? Again, I believe we have some of the best teachers on the planet. And I think we have a solid curriculum. But I think it's because we put God first. The harmonious development of body, mind, and soul. God can bless us when we follow him and the counsel he has given to us. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his 
righteousness. Seek him first. Not a part or a piece or any of these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Another one I really like, 2 Chronicles 20, 20. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. I have a little theory that the closer we follow this book and the closer we follow the spirit of prophecy, the more God can bless us. Whether that's in a church, whether that's in a school, whether that's in our home, my own personal life, the more I follow, and, and the sooner I make this commitment that says, you know, if, if I'm convicted that this is what the Bible says, I'm going to do it. If I'm convicted that this is what spirit prophecy says, I'm going to do it. And God is going to pour out his blessings upon us, and we will prosper. Hear what students say, most significant influence their faith. And there's a lot of things on the list. These are some of the top things on the list. Attending something down to school, the family I grew up in, and so on. You can read those. But here I'm going to put in red. These are all the ones that have to do with the school. So yes, there's mom's faith and there's dad's faith and grandparents' faith and all those things are on the list. But right there at the top is attending the Seventh-day Adventist school. You know, statistically, it maybe is the same as the family I grew up in, but that's, that's huge. And then you have weeks of prayer, student weeks of prayer, my Bible teacher, Bible class in school and those types of things. And this is what the students say has the biggest impact. The largest evangelistic program of the church research shows that what ages are most likely to accept Jesus as their personal savior. 19 and older, about 6%. 14 to 18, only about 4%. 5 to 13 years of age, 32%. That's the highest block. That's when we baptize most of our kids. That's when they are, are primed to make a decision. And so that's where I especially, but certainly all the way along, I want my kids in an environment where they can make a good decision during that time, don't you? This was, it's a little bit old. It's 2011, July 14, printed in the Adventist Review. Larry Blackmer made this point. He says, there used to be 130,000 Adventists in Taiwan. Today, only a handful of Adventists live in that country because there's no Adventist school system there. They're not passing on their faith, and their understanding to the next generation. And if you read the whole article, his whole point is Adventist school is the foundation as we continue to move forward and invest in this upcoming generation, which is always there. And so the church and the school must work together harmoniously because if we have one that's strong and we don't have the other, there's a problem. If we have a school that's strong but the, the church is not supporting it, there's a problem. But when they work together, I believe God wants to do some, some powerful and wonderful things. So Adventist education, is it worth it? It will require some sacrifice. That's going to be true across the board. It is going to cost more. And believe me, it's significantly more. But we believe in it so much that our church, our biggest ticket item, probably two or three times any other the next item, is our church school. It's probably four or five. Anyway, it's a lot more because we believe in it and we want to be able to assist the school so they can offer the rates a little bit lower and then they can give you a constituency rate if you're a member and those kinds of things. And then we also take up an offering every other week, every month, every week. So if you find yourself in a place, you say, you know, I'm a single mother and I'm doing everything I can just to survive. 
you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Must be nice, but that's, there's no way. I couldn't do that. I couldn't make that work. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Hyman. And we'll do our best. Talk to the school. And as we work together with the school and with the church and and do our best, I've seen so many times, and again, where someone says, this is not possible, this can never happen. And when we put a plan together with a lot of people involved, it happens. And somebody that thought they couldn't afford to stay there for one semester goes to our academy. I'm thinking of one instance for four years and graduates. And that was right here at Fletcher Academy just recently. It happens all the time. So ask. Say, you know, I really would like to go. I'd like to see if it's even possible. Ask and see what can be worked out. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking this too. I wish this would have been preached a couple weeks back, but we have to share our teachers between three schools, which is a, a blessing too. But you might be sitting there thinking, well, it's too late. School's already started. It's not too late. Wanda Lee, is it too late? She told me the other day, it's never too late. Wilhelm, is it too late? Culpepper, is it too late? It's not too late. Just simply say, I'd like to look and see if if we can make this work and become part of all these benefits that we've described. Just two examples, a quote, and we'll be done. Was it worth it to Joseph? Think about Joseph and the life of Joseph. Values poured in and instilled to him, and then he's taken away to a very secular place in Egypt, right? Was it worth it to Daniel? Virtually the same song, second verse. This is an education, and we're going to get to a point where it's a very well-known quote, but you may not have understood the context. It says, Joseph and Daniel proved themselves true to the principles of their early training, true to him whose representatives they were. These men, both in Egypt and in Babylon, were an illustration of the love of Christ. And how did it get there? The same mighty truths that were revealed through these men, God desires to reveal through the youth and children of today. Somebody poured into them when they were young, and it made all the difference from there forward. And God desires to reveal to the youth and the children today the very same thing. We can't protect them forever. I understand. I get that. But if you can create a foundation that's solid, that can remain all the way through on into eternity. The history of Joseph and Daniel is an illustration of what he will do for those who yield themselves to him and with the whole heart seek to accomplish his purpose. And here's the part of the quote that you know. The greatest one of the world is the one of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. And I think she says him because of the context of Joseph and Daniel. But the world is desperate for men and women who will stand for those principles. And even in the secular hiring world, if you have these principles, they'll say you're hired. I have a place for you. And that's what the world needs. So the goal of Adventist education, the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual, that Christ may be uplifted and glorified in the world. And this was the verse that Kevin Johnson read to us this morning. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in 
this, that he understands and knows me. At the end of the day, that is all it's worth talking about. Everything else is commentary. Dear Heavenly Father, that is the prayer of our heart today. We'd rather have you, we'd rather have Jesus than anything else. But Lord, that doesn't mean that we will lack because you have promised in your word that if we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, that all these other things will be added unto us. So Lord, may we have a single focus on you today is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.